The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and I am here for episode 208 of this podcast with my co-host and friend, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, how are you, my buddy? Good, man. I can't believe, I didn't realize it until after when I was editing, but we didn't even mention that the last pod was the main pod, the 207. The I was a little disappointed oh. in myself. Yeah, yeah. No, you definitely should have been on that. Yep. Yep. Drop the ball. Oh, well. Uh, you'll have to binge uh, a whole entire sleeve of whoopie pies from Hannaford's next time you're back there <laughs> to make up for it. Deal. <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, For today's show, we are going to be breaking down the relevant roster news as we creep ever so much closer uh, to the the finale uh, of of the spring training season and the opening day uh, coming up here on April 1st. Um, I think we're all just very ready for opening day uh, by this point. I mean, the Red Sox have had a phenomenal spring. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. They won yet another game today. and we'll kind of talk about how much we can actually uh, take away from that as well. But we had some news right off the top that we'll just jump right into here. Um, first big news is that opening day starter Eduardo Rodriguez is not the opening day starter anymore because he's dealing with a dead arm situation. Um, the good news is that it sounds like this is a situation where they're not jumping to put him on the injured list just yet. Um, so it might just be that he gets moved back in the rotation. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, not the best start to the season for Erod. No, this is pretty much what I was worried about with him. Like he missed last season and it wasn't like he was uh, rehabbing an injury and was still doing baseball activities. It just wasn't fit to get on the mound. He literally couldn't do baseball activities or he may have died. So he did nothing for a really long time and then started to ramp up again in like December. 
Uh, and this is kind of what I was afraid of. Um, and the difficult piece is there's no real timetable or like general, uh, oh, dead arm, it's two weeks and then you're good. You really just kind of have to work through it and it's different for every person. Like sometimes you just skip a start, you get that extra rest, you're good to go. Other times it, you're not, but you don't really know until you get out there. So he's going to have to work through it and it, it makes me feel like Eventually, he'll be back to as dominant as he showed in the spring. But now I'm anticipating his first couple starts being a bit rocky as he just kind of works through it. And he may not be able to get as deep into games as we had hoped initially. But I think that might actually be a good thing in the long run. Because I think the less um, that he's relied on heavily early this season, the more likely it is that he's available at the end of the season and going deeper into to games. So... I think it puts his first month of the season in the into question, but he'll be able to eventually work through it. It just seems like it might be a bit bumpier than we had hoped, and and hopefully he is able to work through it. Yeah, and and I think that's a good assessment too. Um, I do also think that you know this is one of the worries that you always have with Eduardo Rodriguez, right? It's just that things often uh, appear. Uh, out of nowhere with him, whether it's a knee or it's an arm or it's, you know, something out of his control like COVID and, you know, all these crazy things that happen to him. He just seems to be a little bit snake bitten. Um, so it's 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 tough to see after the start that he had to the spring where, you know, he was looking great uh, throughout the spring and, and was looking really like he was primed to come out and have one of the better seasons that he's ever had, if not the best season, and clearly a very important one for him from a contract perspective and from the Red Sox making a decision about his future with this club. Yeah, and I think it, it kind of goes back to what we've talked about all spring and that they they actually finally have some depth in starting pitching options which is not something they've really had in the past. So they don't need to rush him back, and they can – I mean, I guess I don't really – he has to pitch through it, so I'll probably do some like stuff on the side. But um, it's not as big of a detriment. Like if he actually does end up being down for like the first month or first three weeks of the season, they've got guys that they can fill in in the rotation. They don't need a fifth starter until the second time through the rotation. So by then – um, there's a good chance he might be back. So he might not miss any, could miss a couple weeks, but even if he does, like, I don't think it's a bad thing that we see Whitlock get a start here early in the season. Or um, I guess Hauk is the guy, right, who's going to pitch on Saturday. Um, yeah. He, the man. So I could mean, I'm be. fine with that. Yeah, and, and, and I, I guess we should talk about some of those options here. Yeah. Uh, Tanner Hauk pitched today and looked very good. He had 4.1 innings. Uh, only gave up two hits, walked one guy, which is huge for him. That's been an, a bit of an issue for him in the past. Uh, struck out six and uh, made pitcher list with his slider. So uh, overall, yeah. that was a good day. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, like, it's, it's I mean, it's a bummer because we want to see you right out there. But it's not like it was a year ago where if, like, they didn't have a replacement for Erod. And they also didn't have a replacement for when they lost Savaldi. And they also didn't have a replacement for when Sale went down. Uh, now they have guys that can step up here in their role, so it's not as big of an issue. And again, I think that brings me back to it may, it may be a blessing in disguise in that it may be able to, you know, push back the number of innings that 
Eduardo Rodriguez ends up throwing this year, and it means that he's available later in the season uh, where he otherwise wouldn't have been. Yeah, and I do think that it does make a little bit more sense for this roster moving forward if you do uh, need to keep Erod down for, you know, like you said, maybe two, three weeks or whatever to figure out this dead arm situation to just um, run with either Hauk or Siebold uh, for that time period. I think it makes a lot less sense to try and stretch out a guy like Garrett Whitlock or Matt Andrees who might not be completely as stretched out as those guys because they haven't been planning for that role. So um, I think the nice thing about both Siebold and Hauk is that, you know, they can come in here and and conceivably pretty seamlessly fit into that, you know, starters role. um, And they've both worked up to it this spring already. So, I mean, that's, that's the role they were going to be filling at AAA Worcester. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that just kind of speaks to, uh, you know, they don't have to stretch Whitlock out because I've got Hauk and I've got Seabold as other options as well. Um, I'm excited to see Hauk continue. He said, I mean, his his walk issues, uh, this last start, notwithstanding the spring, have also been pretty terrible. So it was really good to see his last start before getting to the regular season on Saturday look as good as it did. Um and if he has to go like another two or three times through the order, depending on whenever you run, he can come back. Um, certainly could do a lot worse. So I, I feel better about where this pitching is. Obviously, I'd like to see you right out there, but they've got options, which is nice to see. Now, speaking of those two options, if we are to assume that it's going to be Hulk or Seabold going forward, do you have a strong preference as to who it is out of those two that come up and, and fill in? Um, I guess not. Um, I mean, f- not really from like a development standpoint, but in terms of just uh, I enjoy watching them pitch standpoint. Probably half just because I really like that slider. But if it ended up being Seabold because you wanted to see what you had in this guy, um, after a really really good stint at the alternate site, um. No, I don't, I don't think I prefer one over the other. I think they're both good options. Yeah, I think I, I might lean slightly the other way. I might be a little bit more of a Seabold guy just because I think that he might be a little bit more of a finished product at this point. Um, and I love the changeup that he has. So I think I just aesthetically speaking, the same way you'd like to see the slider with Hauk, I'd like to see the changeup with... Uh, with our guy there, Seabold, but you know what? Either of these options are way, way better uh, than anything we had last year. So that's kind of uh, what we are. Yeah. The the main focus of this takeaway is that like injury happens, not the end of the world. We don't have to see Ryan Weber. Yeah, the season isn't over before it starts this year, which is uh, <laughs> something I, I'd like to see. Yeah, it's encouraging. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, all right, so moving on here, the biggest snafu and the thing that we had planned on talking about for this show today, and what I, this is what I get, Keaton, for prepping this uh, this you know um, <laughs> agenda in the morning before I actually left for work. I was like, you know what, I'll get ahead of things today, uh, and then you know baseball uh, taught me not to do that, but. 
We had this massive snafu where Matt Barnes had tested positive for COVID. And then as a result of Matt Barnes testing positive, uh, eight others were quarantining, um, even though there had been no positive tests based on the rapids that everybody had taken. Um, Jen McCaffrey had pretty much deduced that it had been uh, Matt Andrees, uh, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Richards, uh, Garrett Whitlock, uh, and Plawecki, and then someone else, uh, a couple others that were not really 100% sure who they were. Um, but it turns out that it all doesn't matter because uh, Matt Barnes' test has now been resulted uh, reported as a false positive. Uh, he was asymptomatic and remains asymptomatic. And now it seems like Matt Barnes and everybody else who we were spending some time planning to talk about are now just going to make the roster like regular. So Red Sox catch kind of a big break here. Yeah, well, we got a little bit of clarity. Um, so it wasn't a false positive. It was a non-infectious positive, which I don't know what that means. But scrolling like- through Twitter, it seemed like he had built up antibodies. And so he wasn't uh, contagious. So which, had he had this before? Like, had he already had COVID? Is that why? I am so confused by it. I have no idea. Yeah, no, honestly, the, the, finding out that it was a non-infectious positive <laughs> gave me more questions than answers. But I guess the answer that matters is everybody was back in camp and ready to go for opening day. So yeah. I guess it's a good thing. <laughs> but yeah, I have no and, idea. And like nobody else was positive, so non-infectious non-spreading positive sure okay for all intents and purposes it kind of plays like a false positive right yeah yeah pretty (laughs) much so yeah everyone's back which is great because uh there was kind of a lot of guys in that mix that was really shake up the roster here for the first week so it's good to have all those guys back yeah, it really, really was kind of crazy, the the fallout that can come from a situation like that uh, if it does arise. And, you know, that's the reason why we're still going to have these player pools this year. I think it's, what is it, 70 guy player pools that they can draw from. And you still have to add people to the 40-man roster, uh, is my understanding. But we are still going to have a five-man taxi squad this year that travels with the team as well. And... Um, a lot of the precautions that they had last year are going to exist through this season for things exactly like this. Yeah, I mean, um, they're, so, the, they're supposed to have more strict uh, COVID-19 protocols, and that was one of the things that Barnes was really surprised that he had been adhering to everything, and then this whatever situation happened. Um, so he was surprised that he ended up having to quarantine, but it's it's a good thing that they were prepared and had guys that could step up, but ultimately don't need it. And everybody should be there for opening day. So in terms of what this means for Matt Barnes, I guess, you know, we were going to be talking about how this could have played into Adam Adovino's favor um, with him winning the closers battle. But now that Barnes is, you know, assuming not going to miss any time here, uh, is Barnes the odds on favorite for the closer or, you think Adam Adovino has done enough to still make this a conversation at this point? Yeah, I mean, I guess if Barnes is fine physically and, like, he didn't need time to recover from anything with this weird test, um, I would assume that it's it's his role out of the gate. Uh, it's not like he's a starter and he missed time and now has to build up his innings again. 
Like he's just going to get three outs. So I imagine, yeah, um, he'll be your closer out of, you know, the set of man to start. Yeah, I kind of think that's what's going to happen as well. So at the end of the day, after, you know, a whole scary situation, it ends up being a nothing to see here type situation. So uh, fascinating how that whole thing played out, but we're happy that everybody's okay. Um, You know, Nathan Eovaldi, we should mention, is also going to be the opening day starter in place of Erod. So he's going to grab his second straight opening day start. Erod is going to miss his second straight opening day start. So that's a little bit sad. Um, I want to go back to COVID-19 here, which is just an ever-present topic. Apparently, we're never going to get rid of it. Um, (laughs) But Franchi Cordero, we have some more good news. It seems like the Red Sox are getting some good news with with the COVID stuff. So Franchi, who was out for a large part of the spring, has come back and has looked really good uh, in his return. And in a week's time, it's gone from Cora saying, like, it's unlikely for him to make the roster to Cora saying that it's very likely for him to make the roster. And now at this point, it seems like uh, it would be a bit of an upset if Franchi wasn't with the club on opening day. And the guy who is at the short end of that is your boy, Michael Chavis. Um, How do you feel about that? What does this mean for the team moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's a bummer for Chavis, but he's. it seems like he has made some small strides based on what he's done here in the spring. Uh, he's still hammering the ball as hard as ever, getting on base. Um, still got the strikeout issues, at least in the spring. It's been uh, not as bad as it has been the past couple of years. So um, I think he just continues to hammer away in AAA. Either he'll be back quickly uh, or he'll get traded to somewhere where he'll have, you know, everyday at-bats and he'll be as happy self again but I think it's good that we're going to be able to start opening day with the lineup that we expect to see for you know, essentially day to day right from the jump because I think there's something um, you know we talk about the mental game a lot and I think there's something mentally about having everybody healthy to start the season and you don't have to worry about swapping guys in and getting um, days off with a short bench or anything like that from the jump. So I think it's just nice that we're starting the season clean. We got everybody in the order. Everyone's going to be there, ready to go. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to that. A lot to having the roster built as it was intended by Bloom. Um, and the, the exact quote from Cora, I'll read it here. It says, uh, chances of having... Franchi Cordero making the opening day roster are quote unquote very solid. So it seems like it's going to happen at this point. Uh, have you seen any of the Franchi moonshots in spring training? I have seen one of them on Twitter, his home run. I did see that on Twitter. Absolute missile. Yeah. Left yeah. the park very fast. Let's hope it continues, man. Yeah. I, I like to watch healthy it. season. So with Chavis going back down, we got a listener question, which I think it makes sense for us to get to right now. So we'll just go ahead and do that. Um, this came from a great big lark and he says immediately, uh, we'll skip that part. Uh, with uh, Cordero being ready for opening day and Chavis being optioned, uh, why do you believe Chavis is higher on the list to be called up over Munoz? And I guess 
we should ask this. I mean, do you believe that, Keaton? Yeah, I do. I think Chavis is just a better baseball player. Uh, Munoz is a nice niche guy, basically brings you speed. Um, he hasn't really had great defensive marks. Um, in his 100-game season, he had a, a negative defensive war there for St. Louis. Uh, improved a lot in uh, the next season. And then I don't really know if you can judge too much off of 12 games with the Red Sox last year. But um, he doesn't really walk. He's got like a mid-20s strikeout rate. Um, he certainly has speed to get you 10 to 15 steals. And I feel like that's probably the only thing he really has over uh, over Chavis. Um it's not really a guy that hits for a solid average. Uh, doesn't have power, so I just feel like he's that niche fourth bench guy when you need a pinch runner. Uh, and I think you're going to get more out of Chavis. So I feel like Chavis would be the option. Yeah, and the other big factor playing into this is just that Yairo Munoz was optioned off the forty man, so they'd have to add him back to the forty man roster uh, if they wanted him to come up. And uh, you know, when they option him again. Uh, they would have to expose him to waivers, which, you know, he might pass through again, but he might not, and they would risk losing that player. The other factor here is just that there's so many guys on the current Red Sox roster who can play uh, the outfield, which is primarily where Yairo Munoz has been playing. So um, Franchi can play there, Uh, Renfro, obviously, Verdugo, J.D. Martinez can play there, Enrique Hernandez can play there. Um, Marwin Gonzalez, lots of guys. So it makes more sense to bring up the infielder and move one of the guys you're more comfortable with uh, to the outfield for a short period of time than it does to, you know, essentially burn a 40-man spot. Yeah, and Chavis even got a few games in left too, so he's had experience in the outfield if you really needed it in a pinch. But, yeah, I just think um, the skill set from Chavis overall is a better ball player. Um, and I don't really think they're in the in need of a steals guy off the bench until rosters expand later in the year, and that's really only if they're heading towards a playoff spot. Wow! So you're calling Yairo Munoz a speed guy at this point? Yeah. What else do you see there? I don't know. I basically with Yairo Munoz, I think of him as like an empty hit duel guy. You know, a guy who can come up and make some contact, but like, I don't know if he's really even a speed guy anymore. He doesn't look all that athletic to me these days. Yeah, yeah I guess. I mean, I guess I don't think he's he's even that much of a hit tool. Um, I think it's hard to judge on those 12 games with the Red Sox. I mean, sure. before that, he had 276 and 267. So, I don't know. Yeah, Didn't maybe I'm underrating. either. It could be underrating his athleticism too, but you know he just hasn't struck me as as being all that athletic. I think the only way you see Munoz is a situation where you're down multiple outfielders and you need somebody to play out there every day, and they might be more comfortable with Munoz in an everyday role in the outfield than they are Chavis, considering they didn't give Chavis any time in the outfield this spring. And I think in general, it's like the proximity effect, like. The team last year was pretty bad. I mean, you just came up and like hit a couple triples and was kind of excitingly fast on the base pass. And we were like, whoa, who's this guy? <laughs> a 
When yeah. in reality, it's like, well, sure, yeah, he might have been exciting on last year's team, but <laughs> let's not hope for that to be the case all the time. Yeah, it was basically just you know Stockholm syndrome uh, for us, you know, with, <laughs> yeah. with last year's season being so pathetic. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, so the the only other last thing to really talk about on this roster, with one game remaining in spring training, is the final bullpen spot. Uh, Colton Brewer versus Phillips Valdez. Um, the reason why this spot is up for grabs is because Brazier is on the IL and with Erod potentially, you know, looming, potentially maybe needing to go on. It's another factor in there. Um, but who do you have Brewer versus Phillips Valdez for this last spot? Well, I'd like to say Valdez, but he's kind of struggling. Um, I think we, we saw some things out of him last year that were exciting that gives me hope that he can take some steps forward. Um, but I don't necessarily know if that's the case. So it feels like they'll probably go with Brewer just because um, his his utility bullpen ability. Yeah, I feel like the only thing Brewer has over Phillips Valdez is really the fact that he, I think he's maybe used to going multiple innings more often than Phillips Valdez is. Um, yeah. I've watched Valdez. It seems like every time I turn on the Red Sox, Philip Valdez is pitching, um, <laughs> which is, is not the best. But, um, you know, since I haven't been able to get away from watching him, um, he hasn't looked good. You're absolutely right. But I just don't care because I don't know what he's doing. You know, like, I don't know whether or not the pitching staff is having him work on a big weakness that he has right now. I don't know whether or not he's doing something outside of his comfort zone on orders of, of the, the powers that be. So I just can't put much stock into his bad spring training stats. Bottom line is he was better than Colton Brewer was in the regular season last year. So yeah, uh, if it's up to me, especially with the injuries and Whitlock guys being healthy, I kind of would rather have Phillips Valdez. Yeah, I think I would too. All right, so looking at that bullpen again, um, Heimblum has said that he may potentially be looking to add another guy in free agency, uh, specifically, you know, maybe one of the guys that was cut in a few of the names that have been mentioned are kind of interesting, uh, and former back-end guys or former failed starters or some combination of the both, but... Tony Watson, Brad Boxberger, Jesse Chavez, Steve Ciszek, Carl Edwards Jr. are all recent cuts, and then Shane Green never signed. How would you rank these guys in terms of desirability to be in the Red Sox bullpen? Or would you even be interested in any of them, I suppose? Yeah. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr. is interesting to me. Because with the Cubs, um, he was used in some high leverage situations. He nabbed a couple steals, was mainly like a setup guy. Um, but he's really been pretty good. He just he had a, a really god-awful 2019. Uh, but besides 
that season, he's been really good. Um, the two prior seasons, he had sub three ERAs last year. Uh, he only made uh, just a, I guess five appearances, uh, four and two thirds of an inning. So not really much to take away there, but a one point nine three ERA didn't give up any homers. It's nice to see eleven point five. Uh, Caper nine really didn't walk anybody. That's really been his downfall, his walks. But then again, <laughs> look at the Red Sox bullpen, who doesn't have walk issues. So just add him to the fire. But I think because he's been used in high leverage um, areas before, and he's still relatively young, he's only like 29, he jumps out to me. Uh, I know Shane Green has been a guy that's gotten saves before, but um, I think I would feel a little bit better with Edwards just because I think there's more to unlock there with him. Uh, certainly he's much better missing bats than Shane Green is. Uh, and Green has kind of had a little, his ups and downs too. So those are the two that jump out to me immediately. Um, Tony Watson has had his ups and downs, but also tossed in a bunch of injury issues. So I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. Um, Boxberger, I have completely lost track of what he's done over the past three years. So I couldn't tell you, but uh, I would say Edwards number one, Shane Green number two. Those would be the guys that would interest me. Yeah, I'm going to go to bat for Watson here. I do agree with you that uh, those other two, uh, Green and and, and uh, Edwards, are really interesting. But Watson kind of seems to me like a logical fit. And actually, for a lot of the reasons that you were talking about, that uh, the, the, the guys with control issues would fit, um, Tony Watson doesn't have control issues at all. And I think that that might be... Sure. A refreshing uh, addition to this bullpen. A guy who can come in and throw strikes. He's got a career uh, walks per nine of 2.38 with a career strikeouts per nine of 8.01. He's not that big of a strikeout guy anymore, but he still doesn't walk anybody. Um, you know, he's a, he's a crafty lefty. He's 35 years old. Um, last year, albeit limited innings, 2.5 ERA. Um, season before that wasn't great, 4.17, but you know, the three, four, five, six years before that, dominant. Um, so I, I don't think he's the guy that he was when he was putting up ERAs in the ones with Pittsburgh. Um, but I still think that he could give you some real quality innings and some stability and some veteran presence uh, to the back of the bullpen. So if I had my choice, that would be the guy. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he's he's like the your boring everyday reliever who just he produces every year, but it's not flashy. But those, you need I mean, guys like that. Yeah, you do exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. You do need guys like that, and you make a really good point on the walks. Um, I can't think of a single person that currently in the Red Sox bullpen who doesn't have a walks per nine like over four, or at least <laughs> any of the important ones like Barnes. Adovino, I guess Sawamura, but we don't really know how that's going to translate because he's only pitched, um, he hasn't pitched in the majors yet. So, but like Darwinson, like all the guys that they're relying on for high leverage situations, either we don't know or they have walk issues. Yeah. So if you're able to toss a guy like this in there uh, and not let guys get on base, yeah, you're right. That's that's a nice change of pace for this bullpen. Yep, absolutely. And and I think that Chavez brings that same thing to a lesser degree. So if they're interested in a guy 
in that mold, maybe he, he becomes interesting. Um, I'm not 100% sure that these guys are all at this point in their career um, better than guys like Kevin McCarthy, who they already have uh, as an option to bring up. But, you know, if you can add a guy like this for essentially nothing at this point in the spring, it's sort of a low low risk move with potential for high reward. So I support uh, the fact that it seems like Bloom always has his head on a swivel for, for options. Yeah, I guess it's just what can they get done that keeps them where they at like 2 million or so to the first threshold, which they don't want to get to, which I imagine it wouldn't take that much to sign any of these guys. Cause they were all cut and want jobs. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Yep, absolutely. And, and still very likely that they don't do anything with any of these guys. All right, so the Red Sox, uh, as it stands right now, with one game left to go in the spring, are 16-10. and 10. Uh, They won against the Braves today. Their run differential stands at plus 30. And that is very good. In fact, uh, plus 30 run differential is the second best in baseball behind only... Toronto in Miami in the Grapefruit League uh, and behind only Oakland uh, playing in the Cactus League. So that's encouraging. Uh, they're 10 and three at home, six and seven away. And uh, they scored a ton of runs. They scored 156 runs. Uh, 156 runs is the third most anyone scored this spring and the most in the Grapefruit League. This team's gonna hit, man. Well, yeah, that's, that was that was the one piece that was never in question, and I think um, the win loss record. It's really hard to draw any conclusions from that, other than maybe like their back end bullpen options are a little bit better than we think. Um, but the runs definitely. This offense, we knew they were gonna score, and it's nice to see them getting off to a hot start in spring by just scoring a bunch of runs. Yeah, it sure is. Um, And guys like Enrique Hernandez just had insane springs. Cordero looked really good. Um, Chavis and Dahlbeck were mashing the ball all over the place. But there were still some guys who were were slow. Uh, J.D. Martinez had a bit of a slower spring. He really picked it up in the last week or so. Um, Rafael Devers. Yep, exactly. He had a home run today. Uh, Devers hasn't quite looked like himself, but Devers is a notorious slow starter. So there's not a lot to take from that, but, um, they should hit. And the fact of the matter is the pitching looks like it's going to be good enough, um, that, you know, that'll have them competitive in games. And this is the best record they've had in the spring since 2018. I recall that being a pretty good year. Yeah. I think it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my big question to you, Keaton, is how much can we take away from this, if anything? Yeah, it's really hard because, I mean, the competition that they were going up against, even though they say they played the same three teams every day, um, really kind of varied uh, based on who they were rolling out there because it was spring, and that's what you're supposed to do. So I think it's it's hard to put stock in the wins, wins and losses, like I said, but... Um, seeing them score a bunch of runs against every pitcher that they face, that's really encouraging to see because that's what we expect to really carry this team this year. 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably all correct there. Not too much we can take from it. We can't have it both ways. We can't overreact to the positive and not react to the negative. So, yeah, I think we got to take it with a grain of salt. That being said, I'd rather them do well in spring uh, than do poorly in spring training. I yeah, like the exactly. energy that Core is bringing. That's, I, I guess that's what I'll say. I think I've noticed the impact of Core already. Yeah, we're trending towards it not being depressing to review every, uh, do a podcast on every single series and uh, start it off with, hey, what another terrible pitching performance. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to a little yeah. variety this year. Yeah, I think that the tenor and tone of podcasts is going to be a lot happier this season. We need it after a, a down 2019 and a very down 2020. It was only 60 games and it was so depressing. Oh, it felt like 160. It did. It really did. It really did. Um, so let's get our final predictions out here for the Red Sox wins and losses before we go on and, and close this podcast up a little bit early as we rest up for the regular season. What say you about their win-loss record and what position are they going to finish in in the division? I think uh, 83 and 81 and fourth in the division. Fourth in the division. Okay. I have them as an 86-win team, third place in the division. And I'm going to give a little bit of a caveat here. I think that there is an outside chance, and I don't even think it's that outside of a chance, that this team wins like between 90 and 92 games, especially if the Yankees and Toronto uh, run into some injury issues uh, and the Red Sox don't, if they have a little bit of luck in that regard. I could see them being a playoff team this year. I'm not expecting it, but I think they will be within uh, striking distance to make that dangerous. Well, I'm glad that as we get to opening day, we are back in our fitting roles of you at the optimist. Just feels right. Well, as we sit here, I drink a glass of water that is indeed half full. <laughs> Perfect. That's how you end it. <laughs> All right. Well, we do hope that everybody out there will join us uh, for this podcast each and every week uh, during the upcoming regular season. We're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast. Chop it up about the socks every single week. Uh, and you can expect the same consistency from Keaton and I. Uh, the other shows on the network, definitely check them out. The Over the Monster podcast uh, with Matt Collins and Brian Joyner. Wait, Pre-cap- hold on. Hold on. I think I just. I think I had the Red Sox playing 164 games in my prediction. Oh, okay. I meant the bare minimum over 500, and I think I said 83 and 81. That's Mm -hmm. too many games. It is, and I should have caught that. (laughs) Yeah, I think I meant 82 and 80. Gotcha. 82 and 80 (laughs) it is. Check out the Precap Podcast with Keaton, who definitely knows how to count, Yeah, uh, and his co-host Shelly Verstraight as they preview and recap all of your Red Sox series. Check out the Red Sox On Deck podcast with Shelly Verstraight and Bob Osgood as they talk about Red Sox pot, uh, prospects and review a different level every single week. And uh, yeah, did I miss anything, Keaton? Nope. All right. Well, don't miss us. 
Uh, follow us on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at at Dev Jake, and you can find the Over the Monster account at at Over the Monster. And uh, big shout out to Zach online, uh, Zach on Twitter, for uh, hooking the OTM crew up uh, with some Perez Day shirts. So big time, appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next time. Thank you.